Dr. Dana Saperstein in the Fear Me Out podcast is pleased to announce that Janus Community Counseling Services is now the proud sponsor of the Fear Me Out podcast. Janus Community Counseling Services is a nonprofit organization in Santa Barbara, California that is committed to providing professional, affordable counseling. If you'd like to make a tax-deductible donation to the Fear Me Out podcast, please go to www.jccs.org and earmark your donation to the podcast. For more information about making a donation, you can contact Dr. Saperstein directly at 805-452-0006. Welcome to the Fear Me Out podcast. Today, I have the great pleasure of continuing my series on being a highly sensitive person. Uh, a really lovely gentleman by the name of Dave has uh, has been willing to come on the podcast to talk about his journey, both uh, as being a highly sensitive person, but on top of it, having a pretty significant post-traumatic stress. So Dave, I really appreciate you coming in. And uh, can you tell my audience a bit about who you are? And then we'll get going. There are two basic motivating forces, fear and love. When we're afraid, we pull back from life. When we're in love, we open up to all that life has to offer with passion, excitement, and acceptance. Coming to you from our studio in Santa Barbara, California, this is the Fear Me Out podcast. We're not your typical self-help program. Our show takes a deep dive into those psychological issues that affect us on a daily basis. We hope to shift your perspective and have you experiencing emotions differently. Now, Dr. Dana Saperstein. I am uh, in my early 50s. Uh, I um, was born and raised in the Midwest uh, and eventually moved out to the West Coast. I went to college out here, here now, uh, and, and work here. I don't, what, what else do you want me to well, I, I you Get know into the details I, I, of you have the, the the not great fortune of post traumatic stress and yeah. and the great fortune of being HSP. But it, I you know you and I both talked a lot about uh, that it's not an asset until you understand how it's affected you. So tell us a bit about your childhood and the things that you've had to ter- come to terms with yeah. and how that you think being highly sensitive affected the trauma that you suffered. Um, you know, I, I the. Since I've been diagnosed with both, it's been what, about a two-year, two-and-a-half-year journey, and it's been really tough to kind of separate the two. Um, I, you know, initially, you know, I was diagnosed with uh, PTSD, uh, and the, the, a lot of the traits and issues that came along with that were easily identifiable for me at the same time. You know, I was diagnosed with HSP or you know, a, a certain level of empathy, but I sort of completely disregarded that um, feeling that, you know, I always kind of thought of myself as a sensitive person. Um, uh, but uh, I, for some reason, I just sort of disengaged from that, that whole uh, idea, I think maybe because I'm so good at being uh, just really tough on myself and kind of demeaning myself, kind of, you know, uh, negating any positive aspects about myself, but, um, but I, you know, I, I eventually kind of go back to early childhood because I, you know, in order to kind of, uh, find a foundation for both of those diagnoses, I sort of had to go back and, and reframe and sort through 
my childhood. Um, and initially, um, you know, I think just taking the PTSD and my initial reaction was, um, you know, I always thought of PTSD as just a brutal disorder that affects like first responders or soldiers or, you know, I, I had seen it. My, my parents are about two generations older than me. They're the great generation. I, I technically should be from the baby boom generation. And uh, so a lot of my father's friends, most of my father's friends were World War II vets, and some of them had just, you know, brutal, brutal experiences that, that they didn't talk to anybody about except me. As a child, I was, this maybe is where the HSP comes in. For some reason, they were willing to open up to me to explain their their experiences and, and the stuff they went through. As a young child, I was very curious. You know, I was into you know army soldiers and uh, army toys and all this sort of stuff and World War II history. So they would kind of open up to me about it. And these are your father's friends. Uh, these are my father's friends. In fact, one of them allowed me to uh, write a paper on him in, in college about his experiences. Um, uh, during D-Day, he was in the first wave on Omaha Beach. Wow. And basically, paddling in, he lost everything. I mean, all, all his pack, his gun, his ammo, everything. So he wound up on the beach with nothing. Uh, and uh, I guess at some point, the they they weren't able to get up the hill to, to where they were supposed to advance because of the enemy fire. And I think the Navy came in and started shelling out pillbox positions and he started to make his way up the hill with a knife. And this guy just felt like as a little kid that you were uh, mature enough to hear this story? Well, he, we talked about it when I was much younger, but then I, I got into him in more detail when... when oh, uh, when you wrote the paper. Later in college. But okay. I, I I just, I think that these, these veterans, uh, you know, I mean, they had all the, the PTSD signs, you know, they... Uh, were uh, aloof. They had hair trigger um, tempers. They, uh, you know, just basically your standard uh, World War II vet, grumpy old man that yeah. <laughs> you'd come across in the seventies that didn't want to deal with kids. A lot of them will want to deal with me, I guess, because I, I demonstrated uh, an interest and understanding, a sensitivity that was beyond my age um, and, and their lives and what had happened to them. Were you affected by these stories? I was, I was really in, you know, it's funny at, at first I was very interested in their experiences and it's funny. I became kind of a student of their experiences in a world war two and the experiences of war. I sought out, you know, even as a kid, I sought out all these experiences strangely enough now that I think about it, but I think at the same time, I think maybe I was looking for some uh, blueprint for myself, how to deal with, a lot of the stuff that was going on at, in my house where, you know, um, that, that I see now I was experiencing, uh, uh, physical, verbal and psychological abuse from, uh, my family, uh, especially my mother. Um, and as a little kid, you know, uh, it's like, you're just tr trying to f figure out some way to survive. And, you know, I'm talking, you right. know, three, four or five years old. And um, your mom was particularly violent with you. She was, and, uh, you know, I, it didn't really register with me until I had kids, and then, um, you know, I, I never got violent with my children, but I would yell and scream, and my wife would put me in timeout uh, when they just did normal kid things that would exasperate me, but every time I did that, 
I would have a flashback to when I was uh, a small child. Oh, okay. And in, and when I was a small child, instead of getting yelled at, I would get slapped or or I'd get uh, uh, locked in a room or you know there would be some usual uh, physical angle to it. Um, and you know a lot of these things were just incidental. I mean, I'm talking about like you know a kid coming in the house muddy from playing in the yard and then getting smacked for it or, you know, that sort right. of thing. So, um, and how'd you handle the abuse that you were suffering as a kid? Uh, well, you know, I mean, as a little kid, I had, I was a little kid. So I initially I got, I remember crying a lot. I remember, you know, times where my mom would just lock me in the car to go shopping for a few hours and, uh, you know, watching all these people walk by the car while I was, you know, screaming, yelling, and crying, just ignoring me, pretending like I wasn't there, you know, three, four-year-old kid. Wow. Um, but, you know, I mean, now, in hindsight, uh, I'm starting to see it. But initially, when I was diagnosed with PTSD, um, I didn't think any of that was abnormal. I, I thought, I still thought that whatever the reasons were for me being locked in that car, for getting hit, for coming in the house dirty and tracking mud inside or something that was my fault and it was still my fault oh, okay and um so i as a kid i quickly went from a normal human reaction of of, of being really upset and crying to finding out that i'm not going to get any solace from my parents about what just happened they're not going to console me they're just going to say uh you know just suck it up um you know uh why are you such a baby? You know, that sort of thing. So in that context, you know, you, you do suck it up. You, you, you internalize it. You, you, you find ways to blame yourself that, you know, this somehow all this is my fault. Um, and then, you know, that's for me, that's how it started. And it hasn't really ended until a couple of years ago where, um, you know, finally I sort of came to grips and, and, you know, and up to that point, uh, um, you know, I had been blaming myself. Yeah, they teach you how to go to war against yourself. Yeah, every, everything in my, I was the bad guy, everything in my life, you know, and I think that goes to, um, you know, kind of being the identif identified patient, I uh -huh. guess. Yeah. I know that, you know, may not be a clin clinical term. It was for a long time. Yeah, but I, I, I mean, I feel like that's, that's kind of a good reference for me, and, and now I'm realizing, um, you know, a couple years in that that I didn't I didn't just fulfill that role within my family, but I also fulfilled it within the, my role as uh, part of my wife's family, and also as that role within different groups of friends that that I, I've had over the years. How did it show up in friendships? Um, in friendships, uh, you know, I. I um, you know, there's always kind of I, I don't know what how to describe it <laughs> uh, without um, uh, you know I, o always I was kind of the low person on on I hate to say totem pole but I mean uh -huh. I have all these old references um, but I, I was always kind of um, uh, the the jester but also at the same time you know kind of the joker but also at the same time um, I was the one who was identified as a person who's willing to take the abuse as, as the problem, the crazy person, the, you know, 
you know, sort sort of the similar role in my family. Um, so it really impacted your social. Uh, yeah, I, I, and now I look at it as kind of my refuge. Like that was the role that uh, that was my safety role was to, you know, I, I just kind of hunker down. You know, you look at uh, wolf society, uh-huh. like you know, dog social society. You know, there there's like the alpha. Uh-huh. And then there's uh um and then there's kind of the the lower members who uh if they're challenged they immediately roll over on right. their back and uh-huh. just give in and that was you know that was me. Okay. Um and uh you you know you kind of wind up demeaning yourself and negating yourself. And then at a certain point, you know, if you have enough wherewithal, I mean with the HSP, I think that's where it sort of comes in. At a certain point you you get fed up with it because there, you know, having a certain amount of sensitivity, you, you, you kind of have a perspective on what's going on. And, um, you know, you realize this is ridiculous. You know, you're, you're taking all this shit, you're eating shit constantly right? for what? And then you look at other relationships and you're like, <clears throat> well, other normal relationships where, you know, uh, that aren't abusive and you're just like, why don't I have friends like that? Why don't you know I have family yeah. like that? Well, the, the part of the difficulty is that when you're a sensitive person, you're in charge of managing pain. Yeah, and you fail because as a kid, you can't take enough of your parents' pain in to make them okay. And so that feeling of being a failure added on top of being treated with no value and actually being used as a punching bag. Yeah, and then adding insult to the injury by being humiliated when you suffer the pain of the. Um, abuse you know you don't stand a chance coming from a family like that there's no way to have a healthy relationship with anybody coming yeah. from a from a family and from a background like that especially being as kind-hearted and sensitive as you are yeah i think you know I, i'm not quite to the point where i i'm still in kind of that self-blame oh. mode but um i'm i, I feel like I'm, I'm starting to come out of it um but uh, so you can have some compassion for yourself at this point. I've, I'm, uh, yeah, I think I'm. I, I think I don't know if I've quite turned that corner, but I'm, I'm definitely starting to assert myself as a person, as a, as an individual, as um, someone that doesn't feel like their identity is wrapped up in in kind of um, taking shit right from a whole host of people that should actually be caring for me you know yeah. it should have my best interests at heart do you have any examples of things that you endured in friendship that um happened as a result of being hsp and having post-traumatic stress yeah you know i mean i had one friend who would uh this is a friend that that i made um back in junior high and uh i wound up going to college with him for a brief amount of time and you know i mean 20 25 year friendship. Uh, and, uh, you know, he would use, um, uh, gay and queer monikers for me. Okay. Uh, like I was, you know, as, um, uh, not, not as nicknames, but just to, to denigrate me, which, you know, like at the time didn't really affect, I, I had, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm straight, but I had plenty of gay friends. I, I worked for um, um, gay friends. And uh, for some reason, uh, it, you know, like the whole kind of American macho bullshit 
masculine masculine ethic never affected me i just it's like yeah i understand you're gay and uh-huh. that's who you are right. so you know on on the one hand like having someone kind of you know it was kind of frat guy stuff uh having someone insult me like that just constantly um initially you know i i didn't take insult from it but after a certain amount of time you know i mean you're like well this is what this guy thinks of you. He, you know, he, uh, has no regard for you. Um, you know, so that got old really quick and toward the end of the relationship, it was really getting very strained in terms of my ability to, and I, you know, of course I, I I'm thinking, Oh, well I have to tolerate this stuff cause this guy's my friend right. quote unquote friend. Yeah. Um, but you know, you know, it's, it's just a ridiculous situation. I mean, I, I don't really know a lot of people that would sit there and take that kind of abuse from people. Uh-huh. Um, you know, but I thought I had to, in order to have friends, I thought that's, that's part of friendship. Right. Is, you know, um, taking a, a ton of shit from people. Uh, so, um, you know, and, but it didn't, again, that was the friend who, after I had children, my, my son, I think he was two years old, just out of nowhere, we were sitting on the floor playing with my son, and he and he smacked my son across the head and, and knocked him to the ground. Oh my god! And it didn't really hit me till then. And you know, obviously, he just did it out of spite because he's a sadistic person. Uh, fortunately, my son was was all right, but um, but I I realized immediately at that point that I have to end this relationship. On on, you know, I I think consciously I was still kind of in the Oh, I got to be friends and with this person and let him abuse me because that's you know the way friendships work. But on the other, something clicked. I think I saw myself as a vulnerable child. Yeah, and I'm like, you you just don't do that to children, and um, especially your child. Yeah, I you know I didn't lose. I lost it, but I didn't lose it um, outwardly. So no one kind of knew. All, all that happened was basically I just cut off just suddenly cut off all contact with the guy and he got very um, upset and disturbed about it. Uh, and then of course he blamed me and then he never understood why you No, uh, no, no. Yeah. My wife was there. Uh, I talked to her about it um, and she kind of brushed it off and, uh, and then she got upset with me <laughs> because I cut off contact with this guy and this whole group of friends that, mm. He's, he's, uh, he was fairly wealthy, um, influential guy. So he sort of courted a whole group of, uh, of people that wanted to hang out with him that were friends of my wife. And, um, she got upset that I was cutting off contact with him and this whole group of friends. I think she was embarrassed socially because, you know, and at, at the time I just wanted to be done. I didn't want to get into, oh yeah, this guy hit my kid. Right. As I know, you know, even though there was a group of about six people there that he's going to deny it. Um, and, uh, but for my own, I realized for my own health at that time, my own mental health, um, I needed to just walk away. Uh, and, and, um, and I think having kid, you know, having kids really was the beginning of my understanding of, of, uh, the P- I didn't know at the time, but it, it was the beginning of my understanding of, of PTSD. Right. In my experiences, because again, every time something happened to my kids that triggered that response in me, that defensive 
protective response. It was immediate flashback to when I was that age as a little kid. Right. Um, and it got worse when we'd go on vacations with my elderly parents and, uh, and they would start doing to my kids what they did to me. They, they were, they were too old to really engage in any physical abuse, but it was, there was a lot of psychological and verbal abuse. And I would start to just, um, on some of these trips, I'd be by myself with my two sons and, uh, you know, I just lock them up and we just hang out and watch cartoons or something and just isolate from my, my parents altogether to protect them. Yeah. So at, at that time I had no clue about PTSD or uh-huh. anything. It was, you know, it was purely an instinctual response. Yeah. On I was going to say your instincts kicked in of self-preservation and, and, and preserving and your kids. Yeah. But I'm thinking now, you know, that we're talking about it, I'm, I'm thinking all the, that whole response that whole action on my part um, is HSP. Right. Yeah, That's being a not, really sensitive person, you were yeah. very well aware of how this behavior could have affected them. And and I think the, the having children trigger that. Um, I mean, bef- I'm, I'm thinking of another example. When I used to go on long vacations with my in-laws, and my in-laws are slightly nicer than my parents. Uh, uh, and I mean that literally. The, the, again, I assume that role of kind of being the identified patient and okay. taking a ton of crap. And, uh, so I would wind up self-medicating to get through those trips because it was so depressing and so, um, uh, demoralizing for me to just sit there with these people 24 seven taking shit. Uh, so, so you know, directed all kinds of crap toward you. Yeah. So, you know, and I didn't have an outlet. I couldn't, uh, go for a run or I couldn't exercise or go for a swim or the gym. I had, you know, I had no escape. I didn't have a car. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, I drank a lot. I mean, I remember one Christmas, um, what did we get? We got, uh, I think I bought a bottle of Armagnac to go with uh, eggnog. Oh. And they don't really drink that much. And within a few weeks, it was, you know, or a week, I drank the whole thing. Wow. Uh, so. So you just kept yourself kind of loaded the whole time. Yeah. I, I It wasn't a constant thing. It's usually I could put up with their shit until about cocktail hour. And oh, then okay. I did kind of the old, uh, you know, f- uh, at least for my parents' generation, I used to watch them do this, you know, back in the seventies, you know, it's like five o'clock, it's time for a drink. Right. Um, so, but I, you know, again with the HSP, it, I, it sort of held me back from really laying into the booze. So I would do that over a limited period of time. And then, you know, the minute I got back, I got away from them, like, I just stopped alcohol and it wasn't in a conscious decision. It's just like, okay, I don't need it. And nobody knew you were suffering during this period of time at all. No, no. And, and there wasn't any, you know, my, my wife has uh, a number of siblings and, you know, and it, it was funny because in hindsight, I, you know, I would assume this, this uh, role um, uh, and, and, you know, take a ton of crap from people uh, and, and a lot of verbal abuse and jokes and stuff. And, uh, you know, they'd have nicknames for me, demeaning nicknames. And uh, and I was always, like, hoping, you know, it's like Cinderella, waiting for yeah. someone, you know, some sibling or some family member to come along and say, hey, why are you being such an asshole to this guy? Right. <laughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> I have to laugh because, you know, uh, you know, and I'm, uh, it's funny because it's like, on the one hand, it's like, I'm priding myself in terms of the PTSD on seeing how much shit I can take right. from my upbringing as a child. But on the other hand, the HSP, that whole side of my personality, just the 
just the unique sense of, 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 of sensitivity is like, um, why are you taking this shit? You know, why don't you walk away? Why, you know, you know, why doesn't one of these people stand up and say, Hey, this is in addition to being ridiculous, this is fucked up. This is sick. You Not people helpful. are sick. Yeah. Um, you know, so I think, I don't know, the HSP and, you know, I, I don't, I don't reference it casually now that I have a grasp on it because I've always seen it there in my personality since I was a kid. Uh-huh. And a lot of it is, is some, on some level, you're able to kind of have a, a certain objectivity and just kind of, and you're not able to, like, I was never really able to act on it, but um, there's kind of an outer body sense that you're, you're there, you're, you're in this situation, you're taking a lot of abuse, but at the same time, you're kind of watching yourself from the sidelines Right. Uh, just really upset about what's going on. And and your parents obviously were oblivious to the pain that you were suffering. Yeah. And I think, I think in addition to that, there was a very strong reaction. I was a very sensitive kid. You yeah. know, I mean, I'll give you an example. I, I would play in the garden a lot and I had, <laughs> I would like uh, collect snails garden snails and keep them as pets, you know, and, uh-huh. uh, you know, feed them lettuce or whatever. And my dad grew up, he was a farmer. So like, if you see a snail, you step on it. Right. Uh, and so, you know, I, they would uh, see this, you know, I'm talking when I'm like a little kid, three years old. So they'd see the, you know, <clears throat> this kid with a natural sensitivity, a natural, um, curiosity, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, so they'd make me go out, empty the jar, and like step on all the snails, you know, as, as a little kid. And uh, they're like, get those out of the house, you know, we kill those. Wow. And, uh, you know, I'm just talking like, you, you know, you got to think of like a, a little kid, like two, three years old. It's just, yeah. you know. Forcing you to stomp on, the, yeah, on and, your pets. For me, I'm like, in my, looking back, I'm just like, you know, when my kids were that age, I just, I, I tried to help them play. I didn't. <laughs> didn't intervene but um but i think from a very early age they saw that um i had a great deal of sensitivity in terms of curiosity about the world around me uh concern about the feelings of others uh yeah. you know very you know i i again it's like i hate to i, I feel like my my frame of reference and context is in, in terms of this like 1980s but it I would say feminine qualities uh-huh. that at that time in the seventies. Yeah. Um, that's the last thing you wanted your son to have. Right. 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 And my, my parents, you know, my dad wasn't, neither of my parents were like what you'd say, like masculine, macho, whatever you'd, you'd frame as kind of a, a, a reference. Um, they, you know, you know, my, my, my father was a physician and, you know, they, they weren't, really uh you know what you'd say is like tough guys or working class right type of folk but um yeah. but they kind of got very insecure about the fact that their son had these inclinations and um so they humiliated you as much as they could yeah yeah so basically like you know in their own kind of subconscious way they just beat it out of me and uh you know it's like literally the last time i actually cried was i think i was 10 or 12 years old and my wow. mom, you know, I started crying over, I forget what it was, it was our argument about something or, and 
and my mom felt it was an inappropriate response. So she slapped me across my face and said, don't ever cry again. So oh. I've literally never cried again since really? I was 12. Uh, and uh, That's a long time with no tears. Yeah. No, I mean, it's... So what happens when you feel sad? Does it just get cut uh, off? It just gets repressed, you know? I mean, it's it's brutal. I, I mean, That's the thing I've been working on is is getting back... Or not getting back. Well, I guess getting back to when I was a very, very young child, and I was ex- be able, be able, I was able to access a full range of normal emotions, which I'm not, and I haven't been that way. I mean, I've always been, uh, you know, either it's been moments where I've been triggered and I'm angry, uh, or I have rage, and I've I've been very uh, talented at repressing, you know, those feelings, especially yeah. in social contexts. Uh, or I'm just kind of apathetic. And uh-huh. um, uh, and so, you know, now I'm, I'm working really hard to get back to a point where, and, you know, it's tough. I mean, it's it's brutal if, if you want to do that. Uh-huh. It takes I, a lot of courage. I mean, I, I have that sensitive side to myself, but, um, you know, I, I think a lot of, because I um, have repressed the emotions for so many years, um uh, I kind of, um, I, I kind of process a lot of emotional stuff internally and I feel like I have a ways, a long ways to go before I can process stuff externally, you know? So you still live very misunderstood in a lot of ways by the people around you. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think part of it is, is trying to, um, I don't know. I, like I said, trying to demean yourself, trying to negate yourself, just trying not to be there. Um, and so if, if you're trying not to be there, most people, uh, aren't going to give a shit, you know, they don't see you, they don't hear you. They, you know, um, and I think as, as, as a man in America, uh, as a straight man in America, that's very easy for people to do. Right. Uh, because, um, just because of kind of how our gender in our society, you know, I mean, that kind of goes back to the, uh, you know, uh, uh, just, just the range of sensitivity you know, men are not supposed to be sensitive. Right. You know, women are supposed to be sensitive. Uh, and, uh, you know, vice versa, you know, these, these ridiculous roles that they have for people. So I, I don't know. I've always sort of been conscious of that because of just who I am. Um, so on the one, so, you know, a lot of times I, I would be hanging out with these like macho guys, these frat guys. And, uh, you know, I, I would, I think one way I'd be able to sort of pass off without revealing the sensitive side of myself was just to be the crazy asshole and oh, okay. to do stuff that no, everyone else was afraid to do or, you know, to do dares and stuff like that. But uh, And you have a sibling. I do. What's the nature of your relationship? Uh, you know, I, I used to like to think that, that, uh, um, actually I have, I have a few siblings, uh, a full sister and a, a few, uh, step siblings. Right. But, um, I used to like to think that, that the nature of those relationships were, were, uh, one of the few sources of, um, of, you know, it's one of the few positive relationships in my life, but I, I've since, come to realize, especially reframing a lot of my early experiences with them, that they were just as abusive as my parents, you know. In what ways? Um, 
Well, uh, with my full sister, like, it's obvious now that, you know, she never really wanted me around. It, it, as an early, uh, early on as a young child, uh, it was expressed to me by, uh, we had a, we had a, I had a nanny that was a close friend of the family's and uh -huh. who also raised my sister and, and she did not hold back on telling me that when I was a baby, my sister wanted to throw me in the garbage can outside the house. Uh, literally not, not figuratively, literally. How, how much older than you, uh, uh, is she? There was a 10 year, 10 year gap. Oh, okay. So yeah. she was, you know, well on to her, yeah. you know, late, almost early adolescence. Yeah. Yeah. So and she wanted to throw you in the garbage can. Yeah, she just wanted to get me out of there, be done with me. Um, because most boys and girls that age would, would look at you like as a toy to play with as opposed to a threat. That's, that has been my experience now <coughs> that I've had kids. And uh, I, I have a few friends who had children. Um, and then about 10 years on, eight years on, they, they had uh, like their third child, uh -huh. their last child. And, yeah. and, uh, and their other children have really enjoyed having uh -huh. a baby. Yeah to help raise and to play with. Um, that was not my case. I was, she just saw you as a threat. I guess I don't, you know, I, I'm think, you know, I, I haven't really picked apart or reframed the whole dynamic. I mean, uh, it, it's difficult cause I, you know, I, I wasn't there between my sister and my parents. I think, um, there was something that was a threat. I was a threat to whatever that relationship was with my parents. Um, and, it remains so to this very day. Um, uh, you know, now the abuse is verbal and, and uh, emotional, psychological. I, you know, I, again, I'm the identified patient. I can't do anything right. I am the bad guy. Um, you know, I mean, she to this day yells at me, you know, in, in terms of just having routine conversations about things. It, 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 it goes from me trying to, not do anything to upset her to her yelling at me and, and eventually turning into why do you exist? Everything is your fault. So nothing has changed as far as your relationship with her goes after all. No, these it's, years. it's gotten more and more difficult. I think there was a period in my early adolescence, late um, grammar school years where um, my sister who was in college was having a lot of difficulty with my parents. Was, I mean, she's got her own, psychopathology issues. Um, and there was a lot of friction between them and her and them wanting her to get help and her wanting them to just go away and leave her alone. And right. she used to basically give me rides if I wanted to go meet friends or, or do things. So, you know, right. she sort of enlisted me as an ally and I would, I had no choice but to listen to her diatribes about my parents and kind of reinforce them. Uh, okay. so I was kind of playing a bit of a, a referee because I was trying to be the good kid with my parents and trying to be the good brother with my sister. Um, Probably not succeeding at either one, right? Yeah. No, it was, I mean, much earlier than that, when I was uh, probably eight years old, seven years old, uh, they would get into like knockdown, drag out, screaming matches in the middle of the night. Uh, my mom would just get in the car and leave and just go someplace. I didn't know where uh, my dad. What were they fighting about? I really don't know, to tell you the truth at that time. I mean, I, I think, I don't know. I think my part of it was we, um, 
uh, we had changed houses and uh, we'd, we'd moved and um, my sister had uh, had to move away from her friends and I, I don't know if that was part of it, but um, but like I just couldn't take it. I, I would go outside and just, you know, I don't know if I slept outside. I remember one hot summer night just going outside so I didn't have to listen to the screaming anymore and just lying down in the dirt. Wow. Uh, just to get away from it. My mom disappeared. My dad fucked off someplace. I never saw him. I was just by myself like the rest of the night. And, uh, you know, no one explaining what the hell's going on. Uh, Were they physical with her also? I don't, I don't remember them being terribly physical because by the time I was kind of conscious of what was going on in the family, she was an adolescent. And, oh, okay. uh, so, uh, you know, but there wasn't a lot of, you know, my, my father told me that, you know, my father would, would kind of, I don't know, I sort of became at, at a certain point kind of the person that my father would, would uh, talk to a lot about his issues, which was really weird, especially yep. when I was younger. And he would tell me about how his grandfather was um, just no physical contact, no expression of love, no affection, nothing. Right. And, you know, and my dad would try, would pretend to kind of, you know, have some level of, of affection. Uh, my mom, it, it was always a matter of um, when is she going to blow up? When is she going to get pissed off and oh, mad okay. at me? Yep. So I was constantly on the, it wasn't like, oh, um, let's get a hug from mom. It was sort of like, when is she going to lose her, her shit? shit? Yeah. Um, so it was always like, a, you know, you know, it's always like, like a grenade with the pin out. Like, when is this thing going to blow up? Um, and I was the one that generated affection. I was the one that physically, physically uh, tried to seek affection. And I think, again, that's an element of the HSP. Because uh -huh. the more I read about people with, with uh, PTSD in these situations, I mean, you're in survival mode. You're not going to suddenly start going, hey, you know what, let me go hug these the people that are abusing <laughs> the shit out of me. Let right. me go uh -huh. try to register some sort of physical affection. Let me reach out to them. Um, no, you're not going to do that. You're going to hide. You're going to uh, find some way to kill the pain. You know, you're going to find, you know, it, I, I look at HSP as kind of a resource uh, in terms of, you know, me having to find alternatives to deal with, with the yeah. pain and, and the shit that was going on. Sure. Um, and I grew up um, in a time and a place where there's a lot of money, there's a lot of drugs in high school. Uh, like, if you wanted to get fucked up, if you wanted to become a heroin addict, it was all easy. You, yeah, all you yeah. had, I knew all the right rich kids to go hang out with to score right. free drugs. Yeah. I never got into hard drugs. I never got into drinking at that time. Um, you know, and I kind of prided myself on that. Uh, you know, of course, that was the whole movement back in the eighties. But sure. But in hindsight, you know, um, you know, I think uh, it would have been probably one of the healthiest things to just run away and rebel. <laughs> Although you, you know, you're right about that. But <laughs> being an HSP person would be almost impossible to run away. Yeah, it would be too scary. Yeah. No. I. I mean, that was. I mean, I. I remember obsessing and. You know, that was a thing uh, in the eighties too. Just not not just the Nancy Reagan uh, "Just Say No to Drugs" campaign, <laughs> but also the whole campaign against teenage runaways. Right. That was 
You know, it's so funny. I, I live <coughs> such a kind of sheltered internal life, but like that was on my radar. And I remember, I remember it to this day. I remember like just these just just horrible, horny, uh, like network movies about the teenage runaway. You know? <laughs> oh my God, you know, <laughs> Becky's 13 and right. you know, now she's turning tricks on the streets of Cleveland or something. <laughs> and, and you're like, well, yeah, I mean, sure. There was, I'm sure uh, that happened, but serial killers and crazy shit going on. But I mean, I, I lived in a fairly affluent neighborhood and I lived a very sheltered life and I sheltered myself. You know, I was so scared. It's like, you know, there was no way I was going to, run away or, you uh-huh. know, but I didn't think of it in terms of HSP or me trying to be this referee in the family. Like I didn't think like, Oh, that's my role. So I got to hang around to keep these people from killing each other uh, and just taking a shit ton of abuse. So, and you didn't see your, your half siblings very often though, right? Well, there was a lot of conflict within the family. Um, one of them had substance abuse. The other one, uh, had a lot of, uh, issues with my parents. So they kind of went off and did their own thing. Uh, they're much older than me. Um, and, uh, so you spent a lot of time alone. I did. I did, you know, and it, it, I think I, I was able to create for myself, especially as a child, kind of an eternal life, uh, eternal play life. Uh, I was able to, you know, play with my matchbox cars and be Uh perfectly happy. And, uh, create little worlds, you know, I used to, yep. uh, uh, you know, <clears throat> play with, what is it, playmobiles and stuff like that, where you build forts and, you sure. know, uh, it, you know, it's kind of like building a small movie set or something and uh-huh. coming up with stories and stuff like that, but, um, yeah, it's a way of creating a feeling of safety. And yeah. Stuff. And I, it's funny cause I, and now I think about it and I just think in, in terms of the context I was in, you know, it just kind of scares the shit out of me. Here's this kid just kind of doing his own thing in the middle of this uh, shit storm. Um, yeah. But at the time I remember it was one of my favorite things. It's like, sure. Oh, well, this is, you know, this is so awesome. How do you think that this has influenced you as a dad with your own children? Um, it's uh, given me a lot of Lego building skills, I guess. Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, uh, I, you know, I was the dad who Christmas day would sit there literally and, th- you know, this is a weird memory. We would go to my in-laws for Christmas, and um, so the kids would have a ton of presents, and a lot of them were, were Lego sets and whatnot and stuff to put together. And basically the entire family would let, leave me to stay, to be on the floor and play with the kids for, you know, 10, 12 hours. I'm talking like you get up at 5 a.m., Yeah. Santa's here, you get everybody up and you start opening presents all the way till, you know, where did they go? That's a good question. I don't, you, <laughs> you know, I know. think they kind of hung around for a little bit. They would watch football or they'd leave, you know, it was always kind of like, um, a, a moving presence. It's like, Oh, well, you know, we got to do this or we got to do that. I got to go get the bread. I got to make this blah, blah, blah. And they wouldn't want to play with the kids. Um, and, uh, and, and then they would denigrate me for being the adult who would want to sit there and spend an hour building a giant Lego set mm-hmm. and come up with stuff for the kids to play with or, or, you know, stuff to do or build the stuff or hang out with them. They must have loved that. Yeah. Yeah. No, they, I think the kids did. They, they had a, they had a good time. Um, do you, you know, think they were aware of the weirdness that was happening around them? Uh, 
No, I don't think so. I mean, I remember when there were babies, like we went to the in-laws and, you know, they had these two sliding glass doors in the main room that would just go out on the rocks down to the ocean and the ocean would come up. The tide would come like up within a few feet. The drop was, I don't know, like six or eight feet right off there. And they were open doors. They hadn't locked them. Um, And you had little kids. Yeah, we had toddlers cruising around and, you know, and the, it was an old house from like the thirties. So it had the old, uh, old um, outlet plugs. Some of them didn't have shields on them. So you could stick your finger in and hit the (laughs) contacts in the back. So like I'm going around on my hands and knees, putting, you know, uh, face shields on these things, putting plugs in, locking up the doors, getting choking hazards off the floor and out. And, so my in-laws are, will occasionally, you know, it became kind of like, uh, let's, uh, let's watch Dave do crazy shit. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm like on my hands and knees running around and they, they would just stand there and just watch me. Wow. And criticize me and just say, what the fuck's the matter with you? You know, the kids, and then they would you know, reference their children, one of whom, uh, electrocuted themselves another of what? Yeah. Cause they're just kind of left. To their own devices, one of the, whom electrocuted themselves when they're, th- I don't know, four or five. Uh, another one who chopped off a finger or something <laughs> on a door. Oh my god! And they're like, ah, you know, your kids will be fine. Don't These worry about them. People are nuts. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. So you know, instead of instead of saying, oh well, you know, thank you, thanks Dave for for you know helping. And, it and, was more uh, like you're just crazy, crazy California guy. Yeah, you know, <laughs> this guy's just nuts. You know, he's he's being the helicopter parent. Because he actually loves his kids and doesn't want them to get electrocuted. Yeah, I, you know, I <laughs> oh mean, my God. I just, that protective instinct <clears throat> kind of kicked in. I, I And, uh, you know. Wow so. is all I can say, Dave. This is nuts. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I don't know. I don't, I I went along with all of this, you know. Well, and I know that... that I didn't think of it in... I thought I was nuts. I thought I was yes. a bad person. I'm like... Well, when you're surrounded by a group of people yeah. that appear to all look at the world the same way... Yeah. Uh, and inherently, you don't see the world the way they do, Yeah, it's, it's period. It's standard uh, it's scapegoating. Just, that's right. It's, it's standard blaming the victim. It's, uh, you know, and it, it, it's really kind of turns into the kind of this subconscious gaslighting or like yeah they don't even know they're doing it to a right. certain extent I well mean, uh, they they know that they're using you as a scapegoat yeah and they can get away with it because they can tell that you're not going to fight back yeah because of how you feel about yourself so they just put all this crap on you yeah i mean it's it's amazing you know my talent for seeking out people like that and trying to make friends. You know, I mean, but that's the way it always worked for all of us. It, yeah, you know, when yeah. we're conditioned to believe that we're the problem, yeah, and that there's something inherently wrong with us, then you know, people take our lead. Yeah, in a certain way, um, and you know, the good thing is that I'm seeing you garner your strength in a way, and understand that you know you're like a guy who was in prison for a million years and they do DNA testing and realize, holy shit, the guy really is innocent. He's, he didn't do it. Right. Yeah. It's been, it's been a slow, um, it's been a very slow process of coming out of that. Uh And I'm, I'm still not quite there. You know, I'm still not quite there in terms of 
not blaming myself for everything. Right. But you know the goal. You know, I read the, I used to read the newspaper. Yeah. <laughs> <on> some, <laughs> subconscious level. <laughs> right. Like, oh, well, somehow that's my fault. I don't know how, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, and it does, it literally drives you crazy. Uh -huh. it, it literally drives you nuts. Um, well, the, you know. you're bringing up something I think is important for us to briefly uh, talk about, yeah. if, if that's okay, Dave, sure. which is that... Um, when you suffer neglect and overt abuse as a kid, and especially if you're particularly sensitive, mm -hmm. it can alter your brain chemistry, sometimes maybe not necessarily permanently, but to a place where then you begin to suffer extreme anxiety, which goes along with PTSD, yeah. and sometimes depression. That, so I'm yeah. curious about how, how what you suffered has affected you in terms of uh, the brain chemistry part of things. Yeah, the, the anxiety... I mean, my, and talking about the crazy, it's, it's exhibited itself as anxiety with me. Um, I think the, and, and I'm starting to kind of piece this together, but I think on some level, the, the HSP provided me with enough sensitivity and understanding to maybe mitigate the depression. I'm not uh -huh. saying I, I didn't suffer from depression, especially when I, my adolescent years when right. it, it, it's brutal. I mean, you're alone and literally everybody's against you. Right. Um, uh, but um, I mean, I'll, I'll just talk briefly about a, a physical manifestation. I have um, had acid reflux my entire life and I had such bad scarring on my esophagus that at the age of, uh, I think it was 17 or 18, um, I had to have a uh, procedure done to uh, open up the esophagus. And the doctor at the time told me that he'd never seen that on anyone younger than 65 years old. Right, right. Uh, and I, you know, at the time I just, you know, I just figured out, oh, well, you know, I got bad genes, uh, bad genetics. But, it, uh, you know, since I've started to come to grips with the PTSD, I realized, well, look, I mean, the stress you were dealing with um, you're lucky you didn't have ulcers along with it because right, right. Um, you get acid reflux like that, you know, primarily from having such a high stress level, anxiety right. level, yeah, um, that it takes over your body physically. You have physical manifestations of it. Right. Um, and uh, what about the anger side of things? Oh, the anger side, um, I've, and I think I've, you know, I mean, I'm not saying, you know, I don't have a just a just a huge reservoir of anger and rage, but it's just, you know, I I develop this trait and and this ability to internalize and repress things with such uh, um, such uh, forceful repression that uh -huh. um, that I got stuff like acid reflex right. that I got, you know, like. Um, and, you know, uh, but I, I mean, I think physiologically, uh, with the anxiety, yeah, I mean, it's, it's in your brain and, you know, it wasn't until I started, um, or rather it wasn't until I, I found, uh, um, medication recently to deal with it, that it's, that it started to abate. And I didn't realize until that happened that, you know, along with, you know, the anxiety, it kind of morphs into, um, your perceptions to the extent that you, you know, you get paranoid, you get, um, you, you, you start to doubt your own perceptions sure. of things. Um, well, yeah, because it's intractable at a certain point. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, and and you don't realize that it is, it's physiological and Uh you know, you're not, you think at a certain point, Oh, I'm a horrible person. I'm a bad person, but I can somehow I can access willpower to change myself. Right. Um, which mixed in with the fact that you're opening yourself up to abuse from everybody is just, uh, it's a (laughs) merry-go-round that never ends. You know, Uh, you're just setting yourself up for constant uh, uh, disappointment and constant torture. uh, But it sounds like the medications helped a great deal. It has. I mean, previous to that, uh, like I said, I, I, you know, times in my life when, I really had uh, a huge stress level, like, you know, with my in-laws uh, and I'd sort of start drinking. Um, you know, I do that from time to time. And then I started, um, at that time, I was uh, seeing a therapist who prescribed me antidepressants, but um, I had such horrible um, uh, stomach side effects uh, from those uh, and, and um, you know, reactions in terms of digestion that I, I just, I couldn't take them. I mean, that's how bad it was. So I stopped doing that. And then, uh, you know, I, I developed, uh, severe, uh, uh, phobias and I'd have panic attacks. And so then, uh, he prescribed me Valium, which initially worked. Um, but I discovered over a couple years using the Valium that I have, uh, innate, and I don't know if this may be attributable to the PTSD because I've heard from some of the books that I've read that, uh, especially veterans, they've done studies on that the that sometimes the level of painkillers that they need to take to deal with pain uh, can be a lot higher. I, yes. you know, I I'm not saying I know anything about this or that any of this has been you know proven, but I I feel there may be a connection, but um, but it, it became apparent that I have a, a, a natural, um, tolerance, high tolerance to narcotics. Right. So I had to, at one point take so much Valium and my doctor hadn't really warned me about this. I took so much, um, that I, I wound up in withdrawal and I didn't know number one, that you can't take that much Valium without tapering off. Right. So I just took a ton of it and it, and I didn't, you know, it didn't even put me to sleep. It, it helped with the anxiety, but right. I took enough that it should have put me to sleep for, I don't know, 12 hours or 24 hours. Um, and then I went into withdrawal after that and, you know, almost had psychotic episodes. Oh. Um, and, you know, for a year afterwards, my wife was like, what was wrong with you? Why are you, why are you so mean to me? Why are you, right. you know, this different person? And I'm like, I don't know. And eventually I kind of did my own research on it. I'm like, oh yeah, you were... You were in narcotic withdrawal. It right. happens to people. Right. Um, so I backed off on that. And um, also years ago, uh, as an alternative, I started CBD. Um, and then, of course, with the CBD, I, I wound up using really high doses uh, to deal with situations where I had high anxiety um, or, or, um, or panic attacks. You know, we're talking 100 200 milligrams of, uh, of CBD. That's a lot. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what I've read in studies. They would prescribe, um, uh, for people who have schizophrenia that, right. that to see if it works for right. people with severe, uh, schizophrenia that, that other medications didn't work for. 
And I eventually, I think I developed some um, uh, tolerance to, yeah, you would. to the CBD and it helps. But again, it's, it's kind of like with the CBD, I felt it, it, at a certain point, this isn't solving my problems. This is like taking Advil or aspirin or Tylenol for right, a headache. It covers it up. Briefly. And it, it covers it up. And even worse than that, it was allowing me early on in the early stages when I, before, you know, the PTSD diagnosis, you know, I started CBD before the PTSD diagnosis, it was helping me tolerate more abuse. So right. you know, I'm, it's like, I'm, I'm in a, a position where I'm, I'm, I'm medicating myself so, so I can, you can be further tolerate more yeah. time <laughs> with the people that are abusing me, uh, which you know, now that I think of, I can laugh about it now, but I'm just like, yeah, that's not that, really that funny. Yeah, that's textbook crazy. It yeah. is. So, Dave, what do you think is sort of the recipe for healing? Your recipe for healing? Uh, honestly, it it was the diagnosis, and I, I um, so understanding. The, the context with which you've lived your life. Yeah. The, the thing that clicked for me, uh, because I, you know, it, I felt with the initial diagnosis, like I was in denial for about a year. Okay. Uh, the PTSD, I could start to get a grasp on, but I was really in denial. I'm like, okay, I'm like, I know there's a lot wrong with me and, but it's, you know, it's mostly my fault. And right. I, I don't really know about the PTSD. And I definitely know that I'm a sensitive person, but the, the, you know, the HSP, like I didn't even, the HSP had been diagnosed, but it, it was like, I didn't even register it. Okay. Um, and then yeah. at a certain point, I saw a documentary on a celebrity who um, had been an addict for God knows how long and had, you know, probably almost killed themselves God knows how many times. And they had been through, I think, 11 or 12 different um, therapists, psychiatrists, Wow. In and out of rehab, in and out of therapy. And <clears throat> finally, I think I think he was at um, some clinic and, you know, he had finally uh, gotten off narcotics and he was talking to the head psychiatrist of the clinic. And the, after about an hour, the, the head psychiatrist is like, I know what your problem is. And, and he's like, you got like, okay, yeah, tell me, tell me what my problem is <laughs> along with the 12 other guys I've seen over 30 years. Right. And he's like, trauma, uh-huh. childhood trauma, you have PTSD. And they slowly, you know, they started to go into this guy's early life with, you know, he had a psychotic mother who beat the shit out of the kid. Yeah. I mean, she was literally psychotic and, um, and like, He'd been through God knows how many therapy sessions, God knows how many rehabs. And nobody ever brought it up. And this shit up. didn't come up. And you're like, well, if it could happen to a guy who has seen like some of the top, um, uh, you know, mental health care professionals in his area over right. 20 or 30 years, it can happen to anybody. That is true. And, you know, I'm not a, I'm not, not a healthcare, <laughs> mental health care worker. I'm not an insider, but... I just feel like um, it's somehow it's easy to miss. And um, I think the initial thing was getting diagnosed with it. Okay. okay. And then you can get to grips with it. But before that, it's, I mean, for me, it, it was such uh, just a continuing cycle of, of 
self-abuse, self-blame, just putting myself out there to just get knocked over again that, um, I, you know, I could just see that cycle continue for the rest of my life. Right. And me in the middle of it really in such a state of, 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 you know, self-denial, self-abuse that I'm just going to perpetuate this forever. Which Um, generally speaking, most people do. Yeah. I think, I think PTSD when it comes up in the context of, uh, a sudden traumatic event. Okay, uh-huh. well that's easy. Well, it, you know, it, yeah, it's easier to sort of take seriously. Yeah, but yeah. but when it's more, when it's something that that started a long time ago and you develop the tools to deal with it as a child, uh, you can cover. Well, the, but the sad thing is the tool is self hate. Yeah, exactly, exactly, and but I mean it's 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 brutal, uh, and and. Uh, it, and it's brutal coming out of it too, uh-huh. you know. So. so, Dave, initially understanding the nature of uh, what is ailing you, yeah. it's been really helpful to you. What about now that you are much more accepting of knowing that you suffered post-traumatic stress and that you were born as a highly sensitive person? What other sorts of things have been useful to you? Um, I think the main thing is uh, being able to parse... Well, uh, the, the main thing has been being able to go back and reframe um, all these uh, memories and okay. all these relationships. So that happens in the context of therapy and, yeah. in, and in thinking about things, obviously, on your own. Yeah, because you kind of start to, I mean, a lot of it is kind of picking apart. You know, I, I like, I, I think I described to you, you know, with the, you know, it's with the HSP and the, the PTSD, it's like you kind of have these interwoven you know, kind of bundles of, of roots or something. And right. you kind of have to start to pick pick apart the different traits, uh-huh. attributes, yeah. um, things that have happened to you in your life and uh, start to make sense out of them. Now, are there books that you've read that have been particularly uh, meaningful to you along this process? Uh, yeah, I think I, think I was, uh, I was uh, asked to read the, the Body Keeps Score. Um, so that's one that was on. useful too. Yeah, and and initially, you know, I think the author gets into a lot of his um, studies with veterans, right? And so it was tough. It was tough initially. I'm like, well, you know, I, I, I've, right. I, I'd start to blame <laughs> blame myself that I wasn't a veteran or that I hadn't <laughs> had these sudden traumatic <laughs> events in my life. I'm okay. like, you can't have PTSD. And then um, deeper in the book, when the author starts to get into um, much more in depth into the details. Right. Then that I'm makes like, more sense. then I started making sense, but it took, it took a summer. I think it took about three or yeah. four months for me to read the book, get into it, starting to pick things apart. Cause I was very skeptical. Um, Any other books? And, uh, and then more recently, I mean, it took me probably a year and a half to really two years to, to accept that I have PTSD. Okay. To get into it. And then on the back end, the, the, the problem is, you know, I'm still dealing with the, the people in my life that are abusers. So it's like, right, right. how do you play that dance? That's you a know? tough one. Um, but that's something that, I mean, I, I already established all the tools for dealing with these people. You know, it's right. kind of like dealing with a, a, a malignant narcissist. You know, uh-huh. it's like, don't confront them with their narcissism if you right. have to deal with them. Right. Uh, you know, if you have to get in and get out of a situation where you have to interact with them, um, 
Uh, but in terms of the HSP, the highly sensitive person was the book yeah. that um, that I read that that kind of, you know, and again, I went into it, I'm like, okay, I'm a sensitive person, you know, I, I, I've always kind of felt like, you know, I have a certain, you know, physical and mental uh, acuity for you uh-huh. know, other people's issues and problems, but I'm not going to you know, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to say that, you know, I'm an unusually sensitive person, but then I get into it and it's like, it, the highly sensitive person was more of a, there, there was more of a straightforward laundry, laundry list in terms of traits. Right. Um, and so, you know, the, the author, I was again, initially kind of skeptical. I'm like, well, you know, in, in, ter- in talking in terms of, you know, gender roles and, you know, things get kind of murky uh-huh. and a lot of, you know, it's like, okay, what is physiologically present in a person and what is kind of introduced as a result of, of a lot. Cause I, I, I don't know. I kind of look at gender roles as kind of, um, uh, you know, kind of an artificial construct. So I'm mm-hmm. like, you gotta, again, you gotta kind of parse things. Okay. Well, girls, right. girls are supposed to be sensitive. Boys mm-hmm. are supposed to be indifferent to pain. <laughs> suffering. <laughs> yeah. Good luck with that. But as I got through the attributes, I mean, I'm like, okay, well, this, I'm checking everyone. It's hard to deny at a certain um, point. Yeah, at, at a certain point, I'm like, okay, um, you know, that explains a lot of things about me. And it explains a lot of things about me that I no longer have to feel guilty about. Okay, right. I don't like, right. not a big fan of concerts. I'm not a big fan uh-huh. of large crowds. I have difficulty right. uh, going to a restaurant that's really loud and talking to people. It's not a pleasant experience for right. me. Um so all the traditional, so, yeah, typical things that are very easily, yeah, but but it's but there's a lot of, um, a lot of times I feel like it's you know it's it's two steps forward, one step behind, in terms of my progress because there's a lot of over play with the two conditions, right? Um, and you know, kind of figuring out how they interact and what. Uh-huh. affects what and uh i you know it's um it, it's i i feel like i'm into it but it's, it's going to be a a continuing yeah so dave um we're just about out of time uh, is there anything i i've forgotten to ask you about that you think is important in, in this context i i think there's probably a lot of things <laughs> and i've forgotten about them as well um what, I, what I, kind of suggestions would you make sort of to conclude uh, you got to get that diagnosis and, um, it's, I, I think again, it's very easy with sudden traumatic events. I, I feel like you can't, I think now there's, uh, just in terms of society, there, there's a much greater sensitivity to about the sort of things that I went through. Like if right. the sort of things I went through, which I thought were nothing, um, nowadays would get parents into parent in school and maybe into jail so <laughs> that's right um, you're not allowed to beat the shit out of your kids anymore yeah yeah so i i think there's a lot more sensitivity and with that um i think i think if if you're dealing with the sorts of issues that that i dealt with with depression with um anxiety i mean uh, you know i'm no i'm no health mental health care professional but i mean there, there is very likely a, a trauma route that you should, you know, I mean, don't, don't try to make stuff up where there isn't stuff. But right. uh, on the other hand, uh, 
with with my situation, it's like, well, go back and and start looking and 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 find a therapist and talk yeah. to them about it. Um, find a therapist that deals with trauma um, and understands yeah. HSP. Yeah, because it's so easy to get into a situation where um, you you get in with a therapist and you just go round and round where. Uh-huh. Where in it, it's not necessarily their fault that they don't put together the pieces in terms of the trauma, but right. you're going to be going round and round, <clears throat> continuing to blame yourself. Oh, the anxiety and the depression's my fault. Right. Um, well, so. I can't even tell you how many people have come to see me that have either seen other therapists or psychiatrists that have told them that they suffer from being bipolar and all kinds of other pathological conditions. And then the person starts to, you know, describe where they come from. And I think to myself, you don't have a bipolar bone in your body. You're suffering from PTSD. It is so clear. It's ridiculous. And my response is always, how come nobody's ever really helped you understand that you're not mentally ill? It's what happened to you and what didn't happen for you that is primarily the cause of your suffering. So, you, you know, what you're saying is really, really important. It just reminds me of uh, in the body... Uh, the body keeps the score that the author talks about his struggle in trying to um, get trauma recognized uh-huh. as um, as a condition that causes that leads to a lot of these things. Yeah, uh, and 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 sort of opening up the doors for for uh, getting that diagnosed more right. easily. So, okay. um, well, know. Dave, I want to thank you so much for being willing to be so candid and open about your your journey. And, you know, most people would love to hear that everything's great now and it's all perfect. (laughs) And the fact that you're willing to admit that it's a work in progress is really important because, um, you know, this stuff is uh, really intense. You know, the things you've had to deal with and the things that didn't happen for you in equal measure in terms of feeling safe and, and properly loved, they live, they leave long lasting marks and it takes an enormous amount of courage and, uh, and dedication to get to a place where you can start to feel safe and feel like, yeah. you know, you're worthy of being loved. It's a long, it's a long process, but yeah. a good process. But, uh, but thank you for having me and, and thank you what you're for, for what you're doing. Oh, you're, you're appreciate you know, it. your contribution is very much appreciated. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Remember, if you'd like to make a tax deductible donation to the Fear Me Out podcast, please go to www.jccs.org and earmark your donation to this podcast. If you need more information about making a donation, you can contact Dr. Saperstein directly at 805-452-0006. Thank you.